Amen. You know, Keith's story is a uh, powerful reminder to us that no one is too far gone, that God can't reach in and get a hold of their life. And uh, that accident may have been this, not God's will, but God's severe mercy to draw him back to him. And uh, I don't know if you have people like that in your life, or maybe that's your life. And you know what it's like to kind of run away from God, or you know people who are running away from God. The good news is there is no one too far that God's arm isn't long enough to reach out and touch them. God doesn't violate our wills, but he does extend his mercy. His mercy is new day after day after day. There is no person so far gone. There is no problem so big. There is no obstacle so great that our God is not greater still. Amen? God is a big God. But a lot of times the problems that face us in our life seem bigger than God, if we were to tell the truth. Uh, a lot of times uh, we use the, the, the image, and you see it in the scripture, we'll look at that in a second, um, that the obstacles in our life often seem like mountains. You ever been in presence of an enormous mountain that you didn't think you were going to be able to conquer? Uh, a couple years ago, um, I was uh, uh, in the mountains with, uh, with my wife and some friends at a, at a conference, and when it was over, we uh, decided we're going to hike this mountain that we've been staring at for, uh, for the last week. And so um, we, uh, we set out on a hike, and we, you know, when you start off, you look at the mountain a little bit from, from a distance, you're like, okay, we can, we can do that. Let's say, let's set about two or three hours, and, and we'll, we'll get up there to the, to the top of that thing. So we start taking the trail up there, and this is supposed to be like the easy trail, right? And so we're, we're climbing up the trail and getting in, and, you know, I'm losing a little bit more breath than I expected. Of course, my wife's like blowing me away over there. I'm trying to, trying to keep up. Oh, I'm fine. You know, no problems here. Just trying to keep up, you know, but I'm starting to get a little fatigued, a little tired. I mean, we're about 30 minutes into this deal, and I'm like, wow, this is going to be, this is going to be a challenge, you know? And so you kind of look around, and you're kind of in the middle of the mountain, and you kind of don't know where you are, right? There's trees everywhere and things, and you think, okay, so maybe another 30, maybe we're halfway there, maybe we're getting a little close here. And uh, so we keep hiking away, and then all of a sudden, these other folks come or, uh, uh, pass us as they're coming down the hill. So we, you know, we say hi on the way, uh, on the way by and, and just say, um, hey, did you guys uh, make it to the top? And they said, oh, no, 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 we, we only made it about a quarter, of way, a quarter of the way up or so, and we're like, you mean we're not even already a quarter way up? You know, how long have you been hiking? Oh, we've been out here for two or three hours. I'm like, you've been out here two or three hours, and you only made it a quarter of the way up? You know, and all of a sudden, you know, all of the, all of the hope of reaching the summit just completely evaporated in that moment, and, um, and so we hiked a little bit more, just enough to find a nice little view, been up there about 45 minutes and hiked down. We're probably about an eighth of the way up. Because the mountain was too, blit, too big for what we had time for or for what we felt like I had energy for. And so we turned back around and came the other way. Every one of us in this room knows what it's like to face a mountain. We have mountains in our lives. We have a mountain of work to do. We have a mountain of debt. We have a mountain of uncertainty. There could be a mountain of sickness, a mountain of unhealthy relationships that seems overwhelming. There could be people, tasks, situations that seem like mountains. 
And I was thinking about this um, this week, and you know, a couple weeks ago we talked about storms in life, another metaphor you see in Scripture of trials that we face in our life. And I was thinking, you know, a storm is something that comes suddenly and unexpectedly out of the blue that, that causes challenges in our life. But a mountain is not something that just kind of comes and goes unexpectedly. It's like always there. It's immovable in front of us. And, and more than just an unexpected circumstance, a, a mountain is a journey that we have to go on to get to the, the call on the will of God in our lives. The mountain represents an obstacle that stands in our way. Jesus said this, about mountains. He said in Matthew 17, 20, he said, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Isn't that an amazing thing? That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, then you can say to a mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. You know, mountains can intimidate us. Mountains can make us feel small and insecure and powerless. But our gaze has got to be beyond the mountains in our lives. It's got to be to a God who is bigger still, right? You see, um, I was thinking a little bit more about this and thinking that God is calling us to be mountain-moving people. He wants us to be a people of faith. He wants us to be a people who see the mountains in our life and are able to move them by our faith as he, he extends his power through our faith. A lot of times you have people who are mountain climbers. They see a challenge. They see an obstacle. They've been discipled by the world that says you've got what it takes. So you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you're going to take it on. And you're going to be strong and you're going you're to do your best and you can conquer anything. You can be anything that you want to be. That's the message of the world. We've been discipled of it to in our own strength and our own power to conquer mountains in our lives. That's some people. Other people are mountain gazers. They're a mountain call. They just like to stare at mountains. They like to look at pictures of mountains. They like to look at a nice uh, mountain, mountain scene from a, a, a comfy couch and that kind of thing. But they have no desire whatsoever to have anything to do with that mountain. If you see a mountain on your life, that is a cue to you to just go the other way. It's like, okay, there's a mountain that must not be God. So. I'm going to go do something else. And we like to gaze at mountains and see they're great. We all love a good mountain-moving story. But few of us want to live a life that will actually see one, that will actually see a miracle. Who, you know, because that's risky. That's vulnerable. If we see something that I can't do in my own power, then I just need to kind of go the other way. But God's not called us to be mountain climbers or mountain gazers, but mountain movers. What if what Jesus said here was true? What if, what if what he said here really was true? If you had faith, as small as a mustard seed, then you could say that mountain moved from here to there and it would move. 
Now, we can qualify that, right? Let's, let's, let's try to take that promise and try to balance it with all of these other things. But, but here is, this is what he said. Nothing will impo- be impossible for you who believe. Our faith opens up tremendous possibilities in our lives and in the lives of others. And there is a battle. There is a battle going on in your life right now. Some of you are like, I know. <laughs> I know. I've got a big battle going on, you know, and it may be that person sitting next to you, or it may be that other person out there, and or it may be, you know, that circumstance that you're fighting and you can't get a breakthrough in. But you know what? The scripture says that our uh, battle is not with flesh and blood. Our battle is bit with principalities, with powers that are unseen. You see, there is a battle going on. It is the battle of faith. Every day with the heat that you feel in your life, the pressure, the challenge, the mountain, the storm, what you experience in your life, there's a battle on whether or not you're going to believe. God is calling us to be a people of faith. Today, my prayer is that God would expose and eradicate unbelief in our hearts, that we might see mountain moves in our lives. When we see that God is bigger than our mountain, we are never going to be the same. Now, I want us to look at the scripture here a second, and um, this, uh, this, this statement of, of faith comes in the context of a story, and a, a story in the life of Jesus, and that story is mentioned three different times in scriptures in, 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 in three of the different gospels, and I want us to look in the gospel of Mark again to see this story and what God has to speak to us about faith. Turn to Mark chapter 9 if you have your Bibles. Let me just say this about the Gospels. Um, The Gospels were never intended to be a detailed biography of Jesus' life. The, The writers of the Gospels were not first and foremost biographers. The writers of the Gospels were evangelists. They are writing and have recorded these stories that have been passed down to us by the Spirit of God so that you and I may believe on the God that we read about in this Bible. And so this story, like the others that we've been looking at in Mark, is meant to build our faith and give us help for our unbelief. So let's look at this story, read it together, and then ask God to search our hearts here. Let's start in verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. And a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth. And becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long? Has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, 
said Jesus. Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and he lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciple asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Another powerful miracle story in the life of Jesus, where Jesus for the, the, the past day had been up on the mountainside with Peter, James, and John. Um, at that time, um, he had a revelation of God and God's glory fell on Jesus. And it says that Jesus revealed the glory that he had when he was in heaven. He was transfigured into this luminous being. And it was so bright that the disciples, Peter, James, and John, were freaking out. They didn't know what had come over him, what was going on. Moses and Elijah, the, the, the presence of Moses and Elijah appeared there with Jesus. You know, Peter's freaking out. He didn't know what to do with this. He's like, should we build tents for everybody? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. He doesn't know what's going on. But it's a powerful revelation of the glory and might and majesty of Jesus Christ. So here is this mountaintop experience that Jesus and the disciples just had with the glory of God. And they come down from the mountain and they step into a chaotic Scene. There is a large crowd. There are teachers and, uh, of the law and scribes. There is disciples. And there is a father with a demon-possessed boy. He steps into the confusion. And Jesus, in the midst of this confusion, brings order. He brings answers. He brings deliverance. Jesus stepped again into the storm and brought calm. He brought calm. Jesus has authority. He has power. We've seen it over nature. We've seen it over sickness. We've seen it last week and this week over the demonic realm. Jesus coming in with his power and authority. Yet the problem in this story is not with Jesus. The problem in this story is the unbelief of the people. And you see unbelief in three different forms, I believe. In this story, three different groups of people, three different causes for unbelief. Unbelief is the lack of faith. Very simply, faith is defined in Scripture as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. Faith, in its very nature, is optimistic. It looks and has assurance of hope that something good is going to come. Staring at a mountain and believe there is something on the other side. The assurance of good. Hope is the confident expectation of good. Faith in its nature is optimistic no matter what storm, no matter what mountain is in front of it. Now, there's some people that, um, that kind of pride themselves on not being optimistic. You pride yourself on being realistic, right? Right? 
You pride yourself on seeing things as they really are, and you're a straight shooter, and you're, you, know, you get a little irritated with kind of the happy, slappy, the sun's always shining people, right? Okay, some of you out there, you know, I, I understand this. But I want you to know that the faith that God gives, the faith that Christ carried, the faith that he imparts to us is not anti-unrealistic. It stares problems in the face and knows what they are, but it's a faith that believes that there's something better and bigger beyond that problem. You see, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. We have faith in our hearts because we have the promises of God. Throughout Scripture, you have promises that God has given us to, 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 to strengthen our faith. We have the Word of God, which is outside of ourselves, which outside of our minds, our own circumstances, that is the truth of who God is and what He does. Look at Psalm 103, verse 1 through 5. Some great promises of God that He calls us to remember. It says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise um, uh, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord. My soul, forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of your sins, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. At least five promises right there that are saying there, as we trust in the Lord, God promises to forgive all our sin. There's no person too far gone that God can't forgive. For, he, he promises to heal all our diseases. We, we do a little bit better with forgiving all our sins than we do healing all our diseases, right? Talk about that in a second. Redeems our life from the pit. That means no matter what I'm facing in my life, there's hope for me. Crowns me with love and compassion. I can always believe the loving kindness of God. Satisfies my desires with good things. You know, we can believe that God can move a mountain if that mountain is, is, is something we know is God's, not God's will. It's not God's will, so we can move it out of the way. But what about those mountains of those things that you desire and want in your life? What about those things in your life that, that man, I, I, I desire this. I desire this, this, this thing, but it seems like I, I'm never going to get it, and I don't even know if God wants to give it to me. Here it says that God satisfies your desires with good things. Now, God is generous, but God's also wise. He's not going to give you, give you a, a stone if you're asking for bread. He's not going to give you a snake if you're asking you know, for his goodness. He's not going to give you things that are going to hurt you, but he does promise here that God wants to satisfy your desires. And so when we see a mountain and we see, oh, there's that good thing. Well, it's not for me. And, you know, God probably won't give that to me. And, you know, I'm not going to get a breakthrough. No, the scripture says there satisfies our desires so that our youth is renewed like the eagle. Look at this promise in Romans 8.32. I love this one. This is big. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Come on. He gave his best when he gave Jesus Christ. When he gave Jesus Christ to us. And it says there is nothing impossible that God can't give or provide for those who would believe in him. Right now, as I'm sharing a lot of these promises and I'm casting vision for faith that is the assurance of things hoped for, there's a lot of questions that come up. And that's exactly what was happening here in this story. Questions 
were coming up. Because what was going on here in the story? A man with a a demon-possessed son, maybe we would classify it as mentally disturbed or a mental, a, a child with mental illness shows up here and the man says he came looking for Jesus, looking for Jesus, but Jesus isn't around. Here's my problem. Where's Jesus? He's not anywhere around. And so he brings him to what's second best to the disciples, says, here, you do something for him and they can't help him. And so when they can't help him, all of a sudden, that's a magnet for the teachers of the law to start making their case. Isn't that interesting? That here you have a situation where this boy was not being healed by disciples and all of the teachers of the law show up in that place. And there's arguments that start to form, okay? And there's, there's a debate that's going on. So Jesus is stepping down into a theological debate right here. And that's what I want to say. There is, there, is, there is a source. There's three that we're going to look at. But one of the sources that you see of unbelief in our life is our ideology. What do I mean by that? That's our philosophy, our belief system. Okay? What we understand God is like. It's our questions and the answers that we come to with those questions. You see, if our answers are based on our experiences then we will come to very different outcomes than if our, if our faith is built on the word of God. You see, right here you had a situation where there was a failure and a theology was being built around that failure. You see, oh, well, it didn't work right there, so let's uh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe God just wants this child to be afflicted with this and maybe the father is learning a lot of good lessons through this affliction. He's learning how to persevere. He's learning how to care. He's learning how to save drowning victims and, you know, people in fire. So he's learning some good skills in the... In the mi- That's ridiculous, right? When we say it that way. You know, well, maybe it's for his own good. Okay. You see, you see how our theology starts to get built around our experiences and not the Word of God? You see, um, it, it could have been um, one of these... The, these, these things, well, maybe God is good, but, you know, what we see here with the Father, we'll look at him later, is, is I'm not sure if God, God can do something about it. Maybe it's just so bad that God can't do anything about it, you know? And, and we begin to build a theology around it, you know? There, there is a tension when it comes to answered prayers and moving mountains in our life, a tension between these two things, the sovereignty of God and the free will responsibility of man. Okay, welcome to a to millennial old debate. In fact, I believe it's probably part of, if not the central issue in this debate, 2000 years later. And it goes something like this. It says, if God is all sovereign, then he's going to do whatever he wants to do. Sovereignty means God's authority, his power, his his ability to do whatever he wants to do. If God is sovereign, he can do whatever he wants to do. Right. And the free will says we have a responsibility to engage and to be a part of what God does, okay? And we think that those are two opposite things, but both of those truths are realities in Scripture. And people are trying to explain away one or the other. You know, people are saying, no, 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 we got to believe, you know, and you've got a crowd over here who, who runs to the extreme and kind of the name it and claim it crowd. It's like, this is what I want, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to beat God's door down till, he'll, till he gives me what I want, 
okay? And it's with clenched fists you come at God demanding and being entitled for God to give you the outcome that you'd want it. That's one side, the name and claim of crowd. On the other side, you have it the, you have the um, um, not my will, but your be done crowd, right? It's a good prayer. Jesus prayed it. The sovereignty of God, he can do whatever he wants, but it's a very passive approach that negates the commands of what Jesus had, the way that Jesus called us to live. It says something like this. It says, God, you're all sovereign and you can do whatever you want, and um, nothing I do will make a difference on what you do or not. And so as a result, we leave passive lives, and as a result, we live victim lives, and there's no hope in that. All we can do, if that's our mindset, then all we can do is just hope we make it to heaven, and then maybe everything will be okay in heaven. Jesus said to pray your king, that his kingdom would come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants to bring both of those things together and say, yeah, we need to be humble. We need to be surrendered. God's sovereign and good. He can do whatever he wants. But we are called to pray. We are called to ask. And we are called to believe on the front end. Here's how it works practically out on my life. When I'm facing a mountain in my life, when there is something that is impossible for me, impossible for man. On the front end, I will believe. I am not entertaining thoughts of, of um, plan Bs or what ifs or contingency plans or, you know, let's not get our hopes up. No, I'm putting all of my hope and trust in a God who's good and is powerful and is able to do what he promised to do. Now, on the front end, I am believing. Now, if I come to the end of a circumstance in my life where I believe for an outcome and it's done and gone and it didn't happen the way that I want to, then I'm, I'm totally at peace. God is still good. And I believe that in that place of faith where I believed wholeheartedly, he was building and strengthening my faith for, for a different outcome than maybe I was believing for, and I'm okay with that. You see, I've settled the goodness of God in my life. People who aren't willing to pray and people just hold on to this, it's because they're afraid that God won't answer their prayer. And then they won't know if God is good or not. No, 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 no. God is good, period. God is sovereign, period. But God is powerful and God's kingdom is at hand. And we are called to pray and to believe. I, I learned this lesson when, um, um, in, in a dating relationship years, years ago. Let me use this as an illustration for you that can help you. Um, so, um, I'd been dating a girl for a while and, uh, man, I was just becoming more and more convinced in my mind. She is the one, I mean, she's the one I've been laboring and prayer over for the year. She was meeting all the qualifications and, and all this kind of thing. Everything was lining up. And as I began to seek God, I felt like God was giving me some promises in scripture. One was from, um, Isaiah 54, 10, though the mountains may shake, the hills may be removed. My covenant of peace will not be removed from you. My loving kindness will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. And I had this word, this scripture, and I just felt just God was just confirming again and again in my heart. This is what he's saying about this relationship. And I was just like, done. So I'm praying, I'm believing, I'm pursuing, you know, I'm doing all of those things. And one night out of the blue, um, we go out on a date and, and, she, and she says, hey, I need to, to talk to you about something. I'm like, well, uh, okay. So we start talking. And, hey, I, I feel like you're a great friend. Okay, that's not a good start, right? Uh, yes, you're a great friend. You're a nice, you know, I really enjoy your friendship. But I'm ju just not feeling anything else there, you know. 
Just there's not, I just, I just don't feel like we can keep going. You know, so I'm just like, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So let, let's, so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be patient here, but I'm trying to also go every angle I can. It's like, well, hey, why don't we like pray about this for a couple weeks and just like, you know, just kind of give it some time kind of thing. And she did it right. She was just like, no, I've been praying and I just don't feel like it'd be good to string you on. And I just, it's over, you know, I think we need to move on. And so she did it, did it right. And so by the grace of God, I was able to bless her, release her, bless, you know, you know, bless you, and I, I speak commonly of you. It's an act of faith, but I was blessing as best I could. And I, but honestly, I walked away, and I was pretty upset, right? It's heartbroken. It's a heartbreak, right? And I remember that night, I went and, and knocked on a good buddy of mine, Kevin's uh, door, and, and uh, you know, he was married and had a small child, and I was just like, I didn't care. So, you know, I'm knocking on his door. Hey, you know, talking because he knew the girl, and I'm thinking maybe he can, they can go a different angle or something, talk to her, get her mind. Yeah. So, you know, so I, I'm sitting there talking with him, and, and, you know, he's just, he's just like, I'm so sorry, you know, no, we hadn't talked to her, we didn't know, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, but, and, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, well, you know, he's like, you got you to give her freedom, make her own choices. I'm like, well, what do I do with what I felt like God said? And I said, I felt like God gave me promises. I mean, I could show you in my journal where I felt like God was saying this is what was going to happen. What do I do with that? And he said, Fred, I want you to slow down here just a second. Look at your hands. And I was white knuckled like this. And he said, Fred, this is not the posture of faith. This is the posture of faith. You see, this open hands is the posture of total surrender. But it's also the posture of receiving, giving and receiving. It's both and total surrender for God to be God, but total faith to ask and to receive. This is the posture of faith. And I walked away from there and I began to say, okay, I need to honor her word and, and, and I need to, to, to respect what she said, but Lord, I'm going to believe for this. And I believe that these are things you said to me. And Lord, I ask, would you change your heart? <laughs> would, you, would you move on my behalf? Would you help me? You know, would you come through? And I began to pray and ask. And it worked. Six weeks later, we got back together. And a year after that, we got married. That's Becca Nelson right there. All right. <laughs> now, God didn't have to do that. But what he was calling me to do in that, there was a, a work of faith he was doing. You see what I'm saying? Too many of us have what I call the mental dance. The mental dance. And you're dancing, guys. You're saying, oh, well, is this God? Is it not God? Should I pray this? Should I not pray this? Come on. We've got to stop dancing, and we've got to believe. On the front end, wholeheartedly put all of your... Determine that God is good today. Determine he's good no matter what today, regardless of what outcomes come your way. But friends, when you face a mountain in your life, you have to put the whole weight of your faith in to believe. Okay, let me, let me share this in a little bit more serious route, okay? So, as we shared last week, a um, uh, dear friend of ours, uh, uh, Ashley Flippin, was diagnosed with 
stage for cancer. Um, she's a staff member for us, 30 years old, five-month-old daughter. He, she and Thomas are integral parts of our church here, life group leaders. Uh, she's got tumors. The last CT scan we saw had tumors all over her body. Say they give her less than a year to live. So what do we do? What do we do? So we pray. We go to the Word of God. The Word of God has got promises of healing. God has, in His Word, has promises of process of how to pray. So, for example, James chapter 5 says, When someone's sick, bring together the elders, leaders of the church, gather around, anoint them with oil, and pray, and the sick person will be made well when prayers are offered in faith. We did that this last week with the leaders here in our church. Scripture, he will heal all of our diseases. We can say, well, God will heal all the diseases in heaven. Okay? Yeah, amen. He will, do, he will do that. But God also said, pray that his kingdom would come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're praying for that Ashley that will live eternally healthy in heaven would step down into this earth in her physical body and bring healing and holy. God can do the impossible We've seen people in our own church healed of stage four cancer. He can do it again. Friends, I just want to say we're putting our full weight of faith there that God will do it. A lot of mental dances that you can have around this. This is not the time for those. This is not the time. It's time to believe. And we're going to stand with them, right? Amen. You see, it's a big deal. This issue of faith, unbelief, and too often our, our circumstances dictate what we believe about God and how he operates. But we're not going to do that. We're going to let the word of God dictate what we believe about God and how we operate. See, even in a situation like this, we can be intimidated and you know what? You look at this father in this story, and you can understand him. Don't you have a little compassion for this guy? Here, here's a guy with a son who's been tormented. And it says, uh, Jesus asked him, how long has this been going on? He said, since childhood. So here's a father and a child who have persevered for years and years and years and years and years. And I can imagine how daunting that would have been. He heard of this man, Jesus, who had been delivering and healing people. He thought, maybe I'll get him to Jesus. But then Jesus isn't around. He tries his disciples, and that's not working. And he's wondering, is, can anybody, can anything help me, or is this just my lot in life? And, you know, it's interesting when you look at this spirit that had, that had taken over this, this boy, it was a very demonstrative spirit, wasn't it? It was a very intimidating spirit. It would cause him to do violent convulsions or, or throw him on the ground or in the fire in the water. And so it was a very violent. And, and I think one of the problems with the disciples, there's another we'll get to in a second, but one of the problems with the disciples and certainly with this, with this uh, father is they were intimidated by the size of the problem that was in front of them. You see, sometimes it can just be our mental dancing and our ideology that can spur on unbelief in our own hearts. But it can also be intimidation when our problem seems so big. And when our problem seems so big, that is, that is 
an indicator that God is giving you a new revelation of how much bigger he is. He is wanting us to see a bigger God. And it's interesting when this guy came, he said, look at the problems. Look at this boy. Look at these doing something. And Jesus is like, hey, what do you want? He says, well, if you can do something, help him. And Jesus says, if I can. If I can. You see, God looking at the mountains in our lives, if, and he's saying, why would you say if? Why, why would you wonder in me? Because really, this unbelief, this intimidation by our problems in our life that keeps us from troubling, uh, troubling God, it, it, it says more about what we believe about God than what we believe about our problems. You see, the problem here for the, for the father was his belief in the character of God. He came to, to Jesus because maybe there's some slimmer of hope that could have there, but he didn't really believe that Jesus could do it. He said, if you can, if you can. And Jesus is saying, you're asking the wrong, wrong question. You're, you're saying, if you can, if you can. I'm saying, what if you believed? What if you prayed? What if you asked? We're asking, God, can you, will you? Jesus is saying, will you? Will you? The if is with us, not with him. He's saying, yeah, you see here a picture of his unbelief in the character of God. And then he says, if I can, he says, what incredible statement. Everything is possible for him who believes. Jesus said that. Jesus said it. Everything is possible. When you believe, it opens up avenues for God to move that wouldn't be there otherwise. You say, well, isn't God sovereign? Can't God do whatever he wants to do? Yes, God is sovereign. There is a mystery. He's in control over everything. He's past, present, and future. But he's asked us to pray. And so it's both and. It's uh, illustrations pale, but let me, let me try this one. In my house, there is a water system that is always at work. Yet if I want water out of the tap, I've got to turn it on. I've got to reach out and turn on the faucet. God is inviting us to partner with him to see his power and presence revealed on earth. He said, well, God can do that without us. Yes, he can, but he's inviting us to be a part of it through our faith. He's saying, come on, jump in with me and see what I do through those who believe. In 2 Corinthians 6, 1, um, uh, Paul, says, uh, Paul says this. He, he, he describes this as, um, as co-laborers with Christ. He says, um, 1 Corinthians 6, 6, 1. Do you have that? Yeah. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. God is inviting us into a place of laboring with him. And this father, as he hears this great promise, he is convicted of his unbelief. He's like, oh, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Now, this is a, a prayer of humility. It's not a prayer of faith. It's a, it's a prayer of, of, of Jesus, I don't believe. You see, because faith and unbelief, faith and doubt cannot coexist. You can't say, oh, well, I, I believe, but then, oh, I don't really believe at the same time. No, they can't, they can't mix. Now, you may say, I believe that I'm forgiven and I'm going to heaven. You can believe that. But then you may not believe that God's going to move this mountain 
over here. That faith over there is genuine, but over here you don't have faith. Faith is not extended into that area of your life. Faith and doubt cannot coexist at the same time. So he's saying here, um, I believe you can help me. Now help me with my unbelief with my child. James 1, 6 through 8 says this. It says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like the waves in the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. We're like, Lord, help us. Yes, he wants to help us. He wants to strengthen our faith. And again, let me just say this to you again on a practical level. For me, when I'm facing a mountain in my life, first what I'm doing is I'm going to the word of God. Lord, what does your word say about this? Then as I go to the word of God, I get promises or at least the perimeter of God's promises. And then I'm asking God, Spirit of God, in this unique situation, is there something within the bound of Scripture that you're wanting to tell me on what you're going to do in this situation? And I'm listening to God. I'm, I'm asking God. I'm seeking God. What is he saying? What is he doing? And then when I, I, I sense God speaking to my heart within the bounds of Scripture, I say, okay, I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to believe that. And I'm going to put my full weight of faith into that. And I trust God with whatever he's saying, but I'm not looking at plan B's. I'm not looking at what ifs. I'm believing that this is what God is saying and bringing to pass as I believe him. Again, we got to get rid of the mental dance that comes through our faulty belief systems, through intimidation, so that we can believe. I'm trying to encourage your faith here today. So encouraged. Um, with a, with a story of faith from, my, uh, from one of my nieces. Um, uh, my niece named Sarah, a couple years ago, was a sophomore, junior in high school and went on a mission trip to Baton Rouge. When she was there, she, she was a part of the Antioch church that was starting up uh, there at the time and, and I saw what God was doing. And there's something that leapt in her heart during that trip that just God was saying, I want you to be here. I want you to go at LSU, and I want, you to be a, I want you to be a part of what God's doing in Baton Rouge. And as she prayed and sought the Lord with that, it just cemented in her heart. She was just like, I, I just believe this is what God is saying to do. Now, again, that's kind of an intuitive word, right? We don't, we don't, I mean, contrary to uh, uh, Jim Porter's convictions, maybe, you know, uh, it's not God's will everybody go to uh, LSU, right? It's not in Scripture. But there was something that leapt in her heart that God was speaking to her that she was holding on to. And uh, in this last year, senior year in high school, she began praying and believing and every door started to shut in her place. She, she got accepted, but then this door got shut. Financial aid started getting shut at every turn. And just uh, as they're approaching into this summer, like there's no way we're going to be able to send Sarah to LSU. Um, there's just, there were too many complicated things related to it, too many financial barriers uh, between her getting out-of-state tuition and getting in the door there. And I remember talking with, uh, with Sarah um, uh, two weeks uh, before the start of school at LSU. And, and when you talk to her, you're just like, hey, so what's, what's next? She's like, well, I'm still holding on to LSU, and you know, I, I, I'm moving forward with that, and I really don't know what else I can do. <laughs> and she just was like, I am praying and believing that God will make a way. Well, about that time, uh, another friend found out about the family and, um, uh, and heard about their situation, the difficulty 
getting in. And, um, uh, and this person actually had a contact on the Board of Regents there at LSU and thought, I'm just going to take a stab and make a call to advocate for. So gets on the call um, uh, with this friend of his and begins to say, hey, here's Sarah. She was a valedictorian. She, you know, great student, great gal. Here's their family's life journey and, and just, just trying to advocate for them. And this guy says, well, you know, I have one out-of-state um, uh, scholarship that I can give. And, um, and I haven't used that yet. Let me, let me call and find out. So, they, so this guy gives uh, Sarah a call, and after a 30-minute phone, um, phone call, offers her a full out-of-state tuition to get into LSU, and she's a student there today. She burnt the ships. She burnt the ships. I just believe this is what God is doing. Not intimidated by the closed doors, Shutting in her face, but believing. You see, it's a faulty belief system, our ideology. It can be intimidation by the problem. But the last thing that I want you to see here, a reason for, for unbelief, I believe, is our independence from God. You see, the, the, the scribes who have all their theological wranglings, you have the father who was intimidated by this problem, struggling with his faith. But then you have the disciples the disciples had seen Jesus cast out demons. The disciples had been commissioned by Jesus to cast out demons. Earlier in Mark, it says that he gave them authority to cast out demons. And in Mark chapter 6, you actually read an account of the disciples themselves casting out demons. They had done this before. But now they found in this, themselves in a situation that they could not do it. Now, why is that? Jesus gives a very simple answer here, doesn't it? When they pull him aside and ask him privately, why couldn't we drive him out? He says, this kind can only come out by prayer. Many translations say can only come out by prayer and fasting. What is Jesus saying in this? Is he saying that whenever we face a mountain in our life, then you need to start praying earnestly till your sweat turns to blood and you're just crying out, you're clinging to that. Do you need to fast and just like starve yourself for 80 days and then you'll get... Jesus did neither of those things in this story. Prayer and fasting here was not a formula to get the outcome that he wanted. You see, Jesus neither prayed to the Father in this moment, we don't have a record of it, and he didn't fast for this boy. Now, but Jesus said this kind can only come through prayer and fasting. What is he saying there? He's not saying this kind of miracle comes only when you follow this formula, but what he's saying there is this kind of faith, this kind of faith in which everything is possible. You can cultivate a life of faith in the impossible if you will pray and you will fast. Prayer and fasting cultivates faith in our hearts so in the moment we can exercise that faith that we had. You see, it wasn't so much the disciples' problem wasn't so much the moment as much as it had been the backstory. You see, they had, they had been relying on Jesus, and that was good. <laughs> they were following him, seeing what he was doing, but they had not yet cultivated a relationship with the Father through prayer and fasting that they could walk in his power without Jesus present right there. And Jesus is discipling him. He's training them because one day Jesus is going to leave the disciples, send his Holy Spirit with power, and they will carry on the ministry after he has left. 
And that's what he's trained for. That's why he's so disappointed. He's saying, oh, you're not getting it yet. I'm leaving everything in your hands, and you haven't gotten a hold of it yet. What was their problem? Their problem was their independence and their self-reliance. You see, the disciples had cast out demons before. They had done it. They had worked out a method, I think, on this is how you do things, and this is how you do it. So they had confidence in and of themselves. And he's saying, no, you've got to go to God in prayer and through fasting. And in, in that place of humility, in that place of believing, in that place of emptying yourself so that God's power can work through you, then in a moment you'll be able to step in with the faith that you need to exercise in that moment. It's a contrast here between seeking uh, um, our own human strength versus the strength that only God can give by faith. A, it's, a, it's, a, it's a person, relational-centered faith versus a principle-centered faith. You see, you and I, when it comes to the mountains in our lives, we're looking for the outline of one, two, threes of what I need to do. And when I do that one, two, threes, then God's got to do what he's, supposed, what, I, what he's supposed to do. It's not a formula. It's not a principled-centered faith. It's a personal, relational-centered faith. So that I am walking in communion with Father. Jesus was so in communion with the Father that, that, ever, that he could see whatever the Father was doing. And he would say what only he heard that the Father saying. Because there was such a union with him. Do you have that kind of union with God? To be able to step into any and every situation. And to be able to walk in that childlike faith. Because you know that he's with you. You know that he's good. You know that he's cares. You know that he's all powerful. Because you've communed with him. You've given up everything. You've fasted. You've set aside things for him. Now, man, when we're praying and persevering for God to move, we should pray. We should fast. But the thing that is most crucial for you and I is our faith that comes out of it. Our faith that comes out of it. God is wanting to mature our faith. And it comes by seeking him. There's an intimacy that comes through seeking, through seeking him. Let me end with this um, one last story. It's a, it's a beautiful, childlike faith. And if I can leave you with anything, it's just this. Let's just, let's just come back to being a child. Jesus honored faith of a child. Faith of a child does not have all the theological answers to everything. A child just trusts what his daddy says. If I tell my five-year-old son that most elephants are pink, you know, until he starts looking at a lot of elephants, he may think they're all pink. He just believes. When God has spoken through his word, a child takes the father at his word. Right? We believe. There's a story here of post-World War II. A, um, um, in Japan, after World War II, uh, there were a lot of half-Japanese, half-American children who were abandoned by the society. Missionaries from all over the world that were kind of flooding into Japan at that time began to, many of them began to build orphanages for all of these children who were being abandoned on the streets. And uh, one was established by a woman named um, Irene Smith. Um, she started uh, to care for about 22 um, different children. And their orphanage was, was set about a mile away from the um, uh, Japanese Inland Sea. She said one night um, um, she was with the children and they were listening to someone share about 
faith as small as a mustard seed and how it can move the mountain in front of them. And one little girl who was, um, who was very sick latched on to that prayer, and she told Miss Irene, she said, my one prayer is that God would move that mountain between us and the sea so that I can see the Japanese Inland Sea. Now, on one level, if it wasn't a child and that didn't seem cute, we would say that was a little petty, right? It's really, you know, gosh, why would God want to do that? It's not that big of a deal, right? But this little girl heard a message that said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say that mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. And she said, Miss Irene, I want that mountain to move. And Miss Irene replied to her and just said, said, you know, Jesus is talking about different trials in our life, challenges. I don't think he's talking about a little mountain right here. But she in her heart said, no, God can do this. So she began to get several other girls there who also wanted to see the sea and say, let's pray, let's believe. And they began to pray and believe. Miss Irene says that she um, uh, uh, went on furlough and was gone for nine months And when she came back to the orphanage, she was shocked by what she saw. Her account was this. She, um, uh, when she walked into the dormitory, all she found was girls clustered in front of a window looking out. She could hardly see what she saw. She saw the sea from the window. What happened to the mountain, she exclaimed. And the children all say, all we know is we saw many bulldozers going up and down the mountain to move dirt. And their eyes were filled with tears and joy. Miss Irene was not satisfied with that answer. She went to the, the mayor of the city, say, hey, what happened? He said, down the coast, there had been a great erosion of, uh, along the coastline from the waves that were buffeting the sea. And they needed to shore it up. And so they were gathering the dirt from this mountain and taking it over to the shore over there to, sh- to, to build it up. From the, from the sea, and God had literally moved that mountain so that girl could see the sea. I want to invite you today to turn, to turn off the mental wranglings, the mental dancing. We don't have to dance with God. We don't have to, what if, 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 just can, man, God's not trying to violate our, brine, our, our mind, but he's trying to get into our faith. And if your mind today is, is that hindrance, we want to say, Lord, we take every thought captive to obedience to your word. And this is what you've said. You're sovereign. You're good. You can do whatever you want. But Lord, you can move mountains. And you've invited me to pray and to partner with you to see them moved. So today, I want to ask you, what is your mountain? And I want to invite you to put the full weight of your faith into what you're believing for. Can we do that together? All right, let's stand. I invite some life group leaders forward here. Some of you are like, man, that's easier said than done. (laughs) Fred, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've experienced, and I understand. Today, if you're saying, I I know, I know what you're saying. I see what you're seeing in in the Bible, but I still have these questions. God wants to take us on a journey. He wants to take us on a journey 
to trust him, to see him, to understand him. If that's you today, let's just be honest before God. And today, you may just need to come before him like this father and say, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Help me to know what I'm to believe. And if that's you today, I just want to invite you to come forward. Let's agree, encourage you, pray with you. And others of you are facing a mountain and you're saying, man, I want to believe. I just need to know I have some other people with me believing together. So I want to invite you to come. We're going to sing this last song just as a confession of faith, saying just very simply, I trust in you. I surrender everything to you, Jesus, and I'm going to trust you. So today as we sing, as we leave, let's, let's ask. Let's ask. Let's pray. And let's believe. Can we do that? Amen. So Jesus, we come before you, and, and we're stunned by this radical promise that we see in Scripture. It leaves us vulnerable, but Lord, it leaves us in your hands and in your hands alone. So Jesus, we come to say we believe that you're good. We believe that you're sovereign. We believe that nothing is impossible for you. So we choose today to believe. We believe for the breakthrough. We believe for the breakthrough in the relationship. We believe for the, the breakthrough for the work. We believe for the breakthrough in the calling or the next step with our future. We pray for the breakthrough in that person's life who's so far from you right now. Lord, we believe for the breakthrough in the sickness and illness and injury. Lord, we believe for the financial breakthrough. Lord, we believe, God, and we trust you. We just simply, Father, want to know what you want us to do. What do you want us to do and what do you want us to believe? Speak to us, Father, that we might please you with our faith. We trust you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You come as we pray.